Connection. It's Kylie and Leanne here today, and we're super excited to be finally uploading weekly now. This is our very first podcast episode, and we'll be talking about self-sufficiency today. Starting on a self-sufficiency journey can be super hard, and that's why we're excited that today's first podcast episode is on a handful of practical ways to start on your self-sufficiency journey. Leanne, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your self-sufficiency journey before we dive into our points? Yeah, sure. Um, So I guess it started like almost five years ago. Um, We, my husband and I lived like, I guess you could call it, it wasn't a neighborhood, but it was in the city pretty much. Um, And uh, we just started with chickens. (laughs) Um, And honestly, I don't even remember, like now looking back, I don't remember the, the thought like we just kind of decided to get chickens. (laughs) Um, but it was just six, um, because we, you know, we had to follow the city ordinances and had to be, you know, X amount away from the other houses around us and no Mm. roosters and, you know, all the rules. Um, but that kind of is what our first step was, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. and then in 2020, you know, everything shut down and there was just so much uncertainty and, um, I kind of freaked out for a minute. Um, (laughs) I don't know, I'd say probably for a good four months. I, it was bad. I was bad. Um, but then I just woke up, you know, one day or over a couple days and I was like, you know, I have a, I have a, at the time, two-year-old who is relying on me to be that, you know, strong, stable mom. And I'm not that right now, you know? And so I kind of just, I guess, picked up my bootstraps and, you know, you just figure it out. Um, so that kind of changed my mindset a little bit. Um, I was tired of you know, feeling helpless, like I couldn't do anything. Um, and so slowly over, you know, since then we have been making changes and, you know, building our skills and, um, just learning, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally identify with that because 2020 was like one of the big reasons why we started becoming more self-sufficient. It's like you, we kind of already started and there's already things that we had in place. I was already doing a ton of cooking and baking from scratch and we had just gotten chickens. And then it was one of those things where the way that we felt like we had control was to make sure, and not even that we had control, but we just wanted to know that we could take care of ourselves if we mm-hmm. needed to. And we were already on the path, but 2020 really like propelled that forward where I think we would still be where we are right now, but I think that everything that happened over 2020 and 2021 really like pushed us forward that much faster. And we started learning more traditional skills and we started looking more towards ourselves instead of things around us. Yeah. I think that, I think that's the way it was honestly for a lot of people. I think that a lot of people changed the way they think in 2020. Um, And since then, I mean, just, with everything going on in the world. And, you know, I mean, we had bare shelves at the grocery store, like, you know, (laughs) and I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. So, um, and you know, all the instances with all the shipping containers, not being able to get to where they needed to go or, you know, 
I don't know, trains being derailed. Like who knows what they've got on those, you know, that the, they carry products and food too. So um, I think sure. for a lot of people and for us, you know, as well, we decided that, you know, as much as we can do local or ourselves is what's important. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. No, for sure. Um, one of the things that I started to take really seriously during all of that was gardening. I'd already had like a small garden that I do a couple tomato plants in or a little bit of lettuce, just very basic. And honestly, I feel like the gardens prior to 2020 were just for fun. They didn't even really support our family in any way, but it was that point that I started taking gardening a lot more seriously. Mm -hmm. Like what were we eating and um, making it larger. And it just slowly like started there where, I don't know, it just became a much bigger deal for our family to have a garden. And it was something I already enjoyed. So it was easy to make that a focus for us, but I definitely started taking gardening so much more seriously. Yeah. Yeah, That's something that we kind of changed um, our outlook on as well. And uh, speaking of that, that is one of the things that we wanted to hit on today on those first couple things that you can do to become more self-sufficient. Yeah, I think gardening is a huge one when it comes to self-sufficiency because it's really easy to do in a lot of ways. You know, you can start from seed if you want to take it more seriously, but it's so easy just to go to your local hardware store or nursery and literally just buy the plants that you want um, to have in your garden. For us, when we when I started taking gardening more seriously for us, I really started to think through the things that I actually eat on a regular basis. Like what does our family actually eat? What are the things that I'm purchasing at the grocery store? What are the produce products that I want to be able to have on my counter or in my refrigerator? Because before when my garden was just for fun, I was planting things like eggplant or really awkward zucchini. And I was just not eating those things, but they just sounded fun. And so my whole outlook on gardening shifted from being a, a hobby to how can this be a tool for my family? Um, and changing that like mm-hmm. changed my entire style of gardening and how I looked at my garden. It went from being a hobby to like a grocery store and like a form of like sustenance for our family. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Like it was fun to kind of go through that transition and each year it's just something that I've continually built on. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like our garden space gets bigger each year, <laughs> um, with like you know, oh, for sure. more things that we want to, um, plant and like, you know, things to try out. And, you know, we've noticed, or at least I've noticed I'm the one that's primarily in charge of the garden. <laughs> it's my baby. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, like last year we had a whole bunch of summer squash and I didn't know what to do with it all. So, you know, we, I baked some into bread. I like, I did so many things with it and we ended up just like freezing some, but this year I did like three less plants <laughs> than I did the year before, but it's just <laughs> three less. Plants. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Because there was just, I only have one zucchini plant in my garden this year because I know what will happen if I plant more than one. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's, um... I think that what you said was, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was that um, knowing like what you want to plant is important, but knowing what you want to do with the excess is also important. And I feel like that was one of those things that I didn't necessarily start 
taking that seriously or even learning how to do until last year. So years prior, if I had extra in my garden, it pretty much just went to waste. Sometimes I'd give stuff to friends or family, but generally it all went to waste. And then it was last year that I really took like preserving stuff seriously and learning how to freeze fresh food, like what, like water bath canned for the first time, learned how to pressure can and stuff like that. Um, because I didn't want those things that I put time, effort, and energy right. into to go to waste. Um, well, that's actually the second point we needed to talk about then is preserving food. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I have yet to, I don't have a pressure canner. So the majority of our stuff is definitely blanched and frozen um, unless it can be sure. water bathed. Um, but even that we're still kind of, we're definitely still learning in that aspect as well. Um, just because I, starting out, I had no idea that there were things that you could water bath and things that you shouldn't. Um, so that's been a learning curve for us too. Yeah, no, definitely. I started water bath canning as well. And I learned how to pressure can last year, but I didn't have an abundance of certain things. And I honestly, I wasn't quite feeling confident enough last year to take pressure canning very seriously. So I ended up blanching and freezing quite a bit of stuff like green beans, especially I had so many green beans blanched and froze them and that was fine and it works great. But this year I want to put a really big emphasis on pressure canning because there are certain crops that I take pretty like that I enjoy growing and that I have a like prolific harvest from like green beans, carrots, stuff like that, um, radishes where I want to be able to preserve them in different ways. So pressure canning is something that we're going to really work at. And then also um, my husband's going to get a couple deer tags and I really want to pressure can meat this year. Yeah. I last, maybe it was two years ago now. Um, we made venison chili and water bathed it. And so good. I, yeah, I didn't trust it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's one of those things where it, we do hear that. You hear that in the homesteading community where there is a lot of people who will water bath can things that they like, quote unquote, say you can't and shouldn't. Yeah. And that's so, totally something that everybody has to explore and decide for themselves. Right. But you're definitely not alone in that you've like, you water bath can and are exploring different ways of doing that. We, I know the Amish do that. Too, I, that's true. Where they water bath can most. Yeah, stuff. that's true. Um, my big goal for this year was to, um, use, so like I extended our garden and I planted more strategically. Like I actually planned it out this year instead of just you know, mm -hmm. throwing seeds wherever. Really yeah. Good. Um, sure. and I'm, using our yield to hopefully cut down on our grocery costs. So by, you know, like by preserving food, but we are, so that's, a, that's my big goal is to hopefully in the winter months have enough saved up from our garden to cut down on our grocery costs during the winter. Absolutely. I tell this to so many people who start gardening because I have people message me on Facebook and Instagram. They know I garden. They know I take it pretty seriously. And they're, they, people will ask me. And one of the things I love saying is your garden is your grocery mm -hmm. store. The things you can are your grocery store. And when I started looking at our garden like that, it completely changed my outlook on it and how I took it seriously and how I like love to stock our shelves now yeah. it brings me so much satisfaction to open the freezer and see bags of green beans or um, open the fridge and see like lettuce and vegetables that i've grown because it does cut back on the cost so significantly 
you know, you think about buying canned vegetables, buying red sauce, all these kinds of things, sauerkraut. It's so easy to preserve these things. Mm-hmm. It's such a little cost. Yeah. And then they're just so much better for you anyways. And they taste better. At least I think. <laughs> so much better. Yes. Do you compost at all? Um, we started to. So now that our chickens are locked up and do not free range, we have like a section mm-hmm. of their um, run that we throw all the compost in. Because um, that's one of those things too with gardening that having compost is so easy. We just have so much food waste in our society mm-hmm. as it is. And we've composted on and off for like two years. Sometimes they take it more seriously than others. And yeah, so much of our food waste goes to the chickens, which is nice, but I do have a designated compost section and that's been really nice, especially for this year to be able to pull from, from, for our garden, just to amend the soil. And yeah, um, it feels nice to not be throwing food away and kind of quote repurpose it when I can, I guess. And that's another way to have like that small element of self-sufficiency too, where you're not having to buy compost Mm -hmm. and you're cutting down on food waste and you're cutting down on the amount of garbage that you're producing. That's just one of those. It sounds so like silly to say it, but it's just one of those feel good things Mm -hmm. that truly does actually end up going a long way in the long run. It takes a while to get the compost set up, but it's definitely definitely worth mm-hmm. it's definitely worth having and doing and trying I think, yeah especially if you have the space right well and like something I learned this year that um I haven't tried it yet because my plants are not big enough but um was saving the banana peels and putting them in water and then using mm-hmm. that water as like a fertilizer blue I've mind. done that for my house plants <laughs> yeah right <laughs> I've done that with my house plants but I've not done it with any of my like outdoor vegetable plants or anything, but I would definitely try it. We go through quite a bit of bananas in our house. Oh, we do too. It's the only thing that my one and a half year old will like, he'll just sit there and eat banana all day long (laughs) if I let him. (laughs) Same, Absolutely. I completely relate to that. (laughs) One of the other things that we want to talk about when it comes to self-sufficiency is Buying in bulk and cooking from scratch. They're basically two points, but they go hand in hand so well um, that we just kind of have them lumped into one topic. And I know like I do so much cooking from scratch and so much buying in bulk. First, I started cooking from scratch because I have just over the years developed such a heightened awareness of the additives that are in our food and wanting to avoid that. And then also food, in my opinion, tastes better when it's made from scratch. Mm -hmm. And it's also so much more cost effective. So there's been seasons of my life and my husband's life and in our marriage where we've had to be more like financially conscious and frugal of the way we're spending our money. And a quick way for us to do that is always just to default back to cooking from scratch and not buying pre-made stuff and not eating out things that we all do and are all aware of. But beyond that, I was wanting to cut out preservatives for my kids because I noticed such a big difference in them when they were eating food that had been freshly prepared versus things that had been prepackaged. But in cooking from scratch, you go through so much more, you go through ingredients so much faster. Like you just use them so, so much more. So then I started to buy in bulk in areas that I could, especially when it came to baking and spices and Mm -hmm. um, noodles and rice and like all those kind of staple, staple items, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was in um, grad school actually to be a dietitian. So nutrition has like always been 
uh, a passion of mine. And um, at least as an adult, <laughs> it has been. Um, <laughs> but um, like, so, I don't know, just some of the things that I was learning. And like, uh, when you actually learn how to read a nutrition label on the back of a food package, the stuff that you don't even know how to pronounce, like, what do you think that does in your body? What do you think your body does with that sure. stuff? You know? So, um, that was definitely, and like, you know, like you said, when you become a mom, it's like, well, what exactly is my kid actually eating? You know? Yeah. And absolutely, there's so much stuff in our food that, that we don't need. Like, um, well, even just like added sugars or corn syrup and stuff like that. Those yeah. were the two big things for me that were, I didn't understand. And I, you know, you understand now like sugar and corn syrup can be like preservative, used as preservatives to increase the shelf life and, you know, all these things. But at the same time, the repetitive nature of them being in, in so many things, I really wanted to cut those things out of my kids' diets as much as I could. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the reasons why I started. Um, to cook from scratch and especially baking um like total mm -hmm. this is like kind of a side story tangent but i used to and i still buy a lot of our groceries from aldi and we absolutely love aldi but um one of the things that i purchased from aldi was brioche rolls and the brioche rolls sat in my cupboard unused they kind of got hidden tucked behind something and i didn't realize how long they'd been in there until i looked at the expiration date and saw that they had expired several months beforehand which i'm not really sure how they managed to stay in my cupboard for that long anyways but <laughs> right? anyway they'd expired several months beforehand and so i decided just to leave them as like a fun little like experiment for myself and i ended up leaving them in my cupboard for 22 months and they never changed a bit they stayed the same amount of softness they had the same like texture and smell and everything. And I had already slowly started to bake some bread. Just it was baking bread more for a hobby or for a special meal or to go with soup. Um, sometimes I would make cinnamon rolls. It was never to actually supplement the bread that I was buying from the store. It was always like in addition to what I was buying from the store. But after that incident, it really opened my eyes to say, what is in this food that's affecting us so greatly that it just sits in my cupboard unchanged for almost two years. Mm -hmm. So then at that point I committed to making all of our bread products at home. And there's been a handful of times, you know, I'll buy stuff here and there, or there's a certain kind of bread that we like to buy if we're making a certain meal, but 90% of the bread products in our home are cooked from scratch now. And it was because of the additives, like you're saying, mm -hmm. like what is in this food that I decided to switch gears completely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we uh, have slowly started to make all of our bread products too. Um, but I, and I think this is where we differ um, because you do a lot of sourdough baking, but I, yeah. I tried and it takes everything I have in my brain to feed myself during the day, let alone a sourdough <laughs> starter. <laughs> so it died like 10 times. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'll stick with you. That's okay. <laughs> I think that's so funny, but yeah, it, it, it does. It does. It took me a while. It took me a couple of trial and errors to get in the swing of things with my sourdough. And I still have trials and errors, even like, I don't know, it's been two years now, I think with sourdough and I still have trials and errors with it. It can be very temperamental mm -hmm. to work with, but I, yeah, so I do a lot with sourdough, but you do a lot with yeast baking though too. And I've really gotten away from cooking with yeast. I love it. <laughs> I love making cinnamon rolls with yeast. I can't find, and if anybody out there has a good 
sourdough cinnamon roll recipe, let me know because I feel like whenever I try to make a sourdough cinnamon roll recipe, they end up either being very, very dense or very, very crunchy. But when I just make sour or uh, cinnamon rolls with yeast, they're just so good. They're just right. Mm -hmm. They're just good. Yeah. They're so good. So I, uh, anyways, but that's, I think that's another big one, you know, cooking from scratch, buying in bulk Mm -hmm. and baking are huge ways to provide your family with food security and self-sufficiency. And it's another cooking from scratch is another good way to use the yield from your garden as well. Oh, a hundred percent. So, and if you're storing what you have, you know, in terms of like, you know, vegetables and, um, tomato sauce and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, you're already making those things and canning them and cooking from scratch in that way. And you're just pulling from your cupboard. You know, there's so many layers. Right. And for anyone out there who hasn't made noodles from scratch yet, you really should try because they're very easy. It's Don't next. be intimidated. Like make up the, make up the dough, use a pizza cutter to cut it in little strips. Like you don't need anything fancy to make noodles and they're super delicious. They are. We've made, um, I have tried it once. We've ha- made ravioli, um, and I don't know if I don't know what happened, but they fell apart. So again, trial and error, but we're working <laughs> on it. But it was still really good. <laughs> yeah, if you uh, maybe I'll post this to our um, to our Instagram this week, like, like uh, the noodle recipe I use on Instagram, because um, it's super simple and it's it's really good. Mm-hmm. I know there's other people out there who will make it in bulk and you can dry the noodles and then they're shelf stable for, I think, three months. I haven't done that before, but I'd like to try. Um, we just go, like, I just make them and then we eat them. It's, yeah. it's no big deal. So I do still buy noodles from the grocery store, though. I don't always make them from scratch all the time. So it'd be nice if I could. I just don't have the bandwidth for that yet. Right. <laughs> it's It's crazy how this stuff kind of, like, it like snowballs. Like, you know, we, we started out this episode with like, Hey, you're going to, you know, start a garden. And there are multiple ways that you can do that, you know, considering the space that you have. Um, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, you start that and then you go into preserving the food that you grow. And then now, you know, you, you cook from scratch using the stuff that you made using what you grew. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. We should go back to gardening for just a second, because what you just said was like a really good point, like using the space that you have to grow what you can basically. And I, wasn't it you that just was like, when you first started your garden was using containers for gardening or was that someone else? Um, I think that was somebody else, but, um, I, well, I hit all about it in my blog post. So we, you can go over to the homesteadconnection.com and Mm -hmm. go read the blog. But, um, my mom read the blog and she said that it inspired her to start, um, putting them on like potting plants and putting Uh them on her condo uh, balcony. Yeah. So I think that's, she's never, yeah, she's never gardened before in her life. And she said she's going to start. Well, I, I think that's a really good point because when you think of homesteading and all of these people within like quote the homestead community, you think of like quarter acre gardens and half acre gardens yeah. and you see these massive sprawls of beautiful rows. And that is the dream. Like that is the dream, but it's not always practical for everybody. And you can still have so much produce and such a prolific harvest on a porch or a patio or like in grow bags. I still do um, like radishes and carrots and lettuce, lettuce is in the ground this year, but um, I usually do radishes and carrots in grow bags, potatoes in grow bags, and you can put grow bags anywhere. You know, you don't need any kind of yard for that. 
I don't think I've ever even seen a grow bag. Like I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they're nice. They can be a little temperamental because they're so much more permeable mm-hmm. that they can lose moisture faster. But once you kind of get the feel for them, they actually can be really nice, especially with those really short um, German, like those vegetables that are really short to harvest dates, oh, like yeah. those, you know, 30, 70 days. Cause you can literally just like dump the bag out if you wanted to. Yeah. Anyways, another topic that we wanted to talk about just briefly um, is chickens. I know not everybody has the space or the time or the means for chickens, but if you're in a place in your life or you're a place on your self-sufficiency or homesteading journey that you're looking and considering adding chickens, the layer of self-sufficiency that chickens can provide is pretty significant when you really think about it and break it down. And there's, there is some time and some investment into starting with chickens, you know, whether you get them from scratch or you spend the money and buy them as pullets or even as laying hens, but between eggs. And then if you raise dual purpose meat birds, so chickens that can be used for eggs, you know, for a year or two, and then later be processed for meat, um, you really have like a full circle layer of self-sufficient like of self-sufficiency like in your yard or full circle product that you can use in multiple ways yeah um the and like the dual purpose chickens you were talking about like you know you you have them and i may be wrong here i may be off a little bit but chickens only lay consistently for like i think it's like four years three or four years, something like that. Yeah. Like two to four years. Yeah. So then, you know, after that, what are you going to do? Just keep a chicken. That's not going to give you eggs. Like, you know, so then, Mm -hmm. then it can become, you know, the, like you said, it can come full circle. Mm -hmm. Um, I have friends actually who have done that recently. They started their flock of chickens this year. They purchased 10 buff Orpingtons. 10 or 12 buff Orpingtons, something like that. And they live just in a residential lot in a town that allows for chickens. I think they only allow for six chickens, but who's counting? Um, And their intention with buying the Buff Orpingtons was so that they could be initially used for egg laying, and then they could process them later at a later date for meat. We don't use dual Mm -hmm. purpose birds in our, in our homestead. We actually raise chicken for meat. And I know that you guys raise chicken for meat too. Um, But I have two chickens right now that will go to be processed with our meat birds. We're going to process our first batch of meat birds, probably the first end of July, beginning of August. And I've got two chickens that are not laying or one, I think it lays maybe an egg a month, I think, but they'll go to be processed. Mm-hmm. They'll just be soup birds. I'll put them in for soup. Um, yeah. But they're a little old. I wouldn't want to eat them anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think chickens are my favorite. Um, and I, I know some at some point in the future, we are going to have an entire episode on the difference between like, you know, egg laying chickens and, you know, raising chickens for meat. Absolutely. But um, I don't know. There's just something calming about looking out your window and seeing chickens just mm-hmm. in your backyard. Yeah. It's just one of the most chickens are one of my most favorite things about homesteading. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I wanted chickens for six years before my husband agreed to it. Um, really? (laughs) Yeah. And now that we have them, he 
loves them just as much as I do. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it was just, it started as just a me thing. And I was able to kind of quote, convince him because of our daughters that it would be good for them and a great way to teach responsibility and learn about the circle of life and all of these things, which are true. But now mm-hmm. it's so much more than that. And, and he's just as involved as I am. So, yeah. Yeah. We know not everybody is able or in the position to add chickens or even want to add chickens. But when you think about those levels of self-sufficiency, chickens is definitely mm-hmm. one to consider if you're able to. And yeah, we we would love to do a podcast episode down the road um, talking about more specifically about raising chicken for meat because it's yeah. such an easy and short-term mm-hmm. commitment to just yep. have a great yield of meat in your freezer. So I have already mentioned trial and error. Um, so that brings us to another point we had was, you know, not being afraid to fail and using your hands um, and getting comfortable with using your hands. Um, so much of this process is new, at least n- new for us. You know, it used to be yeah. the way it just used to be the way things were done. Um, but as a society, we've gotten away from that. So, you know, becoming more self-sufficient definitely takes you back to your roots. But with that comes, you know, learning and, you know, you're going to fail. It's just, it's going to happen. So getting used to that and getting comfortable with, you know, having to start again and not giving up the first time it goes wrong, um, definitely got me a few times. No, I think that's so important we're like our generation you know it was our generation that really has had full exposure to social media and everybody knows Mm -hmm. and everybody says that social media and instagram are always the picture perfect the highlight reel like everything that's going right and it's beautiful and fun to look at and i mean we love instagram of course but we never see people failing. And when we're on Instagram and we see all these gorgeous homesteads and the beautiful gardens and the freezers full of chicken that were processed holistically and, and, you know, humanely, you never see all of the failures that have led up to that. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Nate and I are still very much in like the quote trial and error and failure part of our homestead where we have so many things that go right, but we have so many things that go wrong where we think we had it right. And we think we had it set up well enough, or we thought we had the system in place. Mm -hmm. And then time will show you where the kinks are and the errors are. And it can be difficult sometimes and stressful. And there's even been times, even just this week where I wondered if we were doing the right thing, but learning by error is is truly it's so cliche but it's truly the greatest lesson it is yeah i um it was like the first probably within the first year that we had chickens and we wanted to add more and Mm -hmm. so you know we kept them separate you know when they're super tiny you have to keep the little ones separate from the big ones and um so we had them separate and they were just big enough where we thought we could marry the two flocks together. And, you know, they tell you, or at least I read that you have to, you know, put them right next to each other, but you know, so they can see each other and, you know, and then move them in two, a couple days later. Well, we, it's like a two week process. If you read about it on the internet, which is not how you have to do it by the way, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, podcast episode about that. Yes. 
Um, so we had them separate for the night and we had them blocked off. We had like a security fence. So we had them blocked off, but they were right next to the other chickens. And I was like, oh, they'll be good, you know, for a night. We're going to put them in there tomorrow. Um, little did we know that raccoons can climb security fences. So, oh no. yeah, oh, every no. single one of those babies, well, they weren't, they were like pullets. Uh, they were like adolescent <laughs> hens at this point, but every single one of them oh, was gone. That's devastating. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate to that hardcore right now because I, you already know this, but the, we decided similarly to you, we decided to stop free ranging our chickens recently um, because the backside of our property backs up to a forest preserve and there's fox that live back there, which is, we like that we can see the wildlife and the nature and stuff where we live, but we lost a couple, three or four chickens to the fox earlier this spring. And I just was tired of it and we'd never had a good solid chicken run. So we invested time and money into making a nice big fully enclosed like chicken run roof, everything. And a couple of days ago, yeah, a fox got into the chicken run and it broke through the welding wire. Like it literally snapped just enough of the welding wire to get into the chicken run. And we lost just, we lost so many chickens, like over a dozen chickens. more than half of your chickens. (laughs) Yeah, more than half of my flock. I lost more than half of my flock to this. Yeah. to this fox and was, you know you use the the hardware cloth and the welding wire and dig it down and t-post and you think we thought we had this great chicken run mm-hmm. it was working so good for like over a month and then you know yep. just trial and error man yep and like we uh so we butchered one of our hogs recently and it was the first time john actually did it from home like you know, our yield wasn't as good as we thought that it should have been. You know, he he was really hoping that we would have gotten more. But again, learn as you go, trial That's and error. That's a learning process. Yes. Um, and, you know, what types of knives to use and, you know, all the things. Like, you just have to learn all the things. And the best way to learn is to do it. So yeah. what we did get, we got in our deep freezer. We got it all packaged up. We got it all labeled, you know, and uh, my one-year-old decided to unplug our freezer and we did not realize that the freezer was unplugged mm-hmm. until my dogs were at the freezer licking the ground around my freezer. I'm oh like, no. All day long they were just licking around the freezer. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. So then I opened it and everything was, it was bad. Like it, it was not cold in that freezer at all. So the entire oh, hog was gone. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah, that is devastating. I I remember you saying that, and that's one of those things where you guys put so much time and effort to to raising the hog out, to butchering it yourselves, to pro, like processing it, packaging it yourselves, just to lose it. Mm-hmm. It is, and it, it is. It's heartbreaking. You know, it sucks from a financial standpoint. It sucks mm-hmm. from a mental standpoint. You know, it's it's exhausting. You know putting all that time and effort into something like that, or like you said, like your chickens or, you know, maybe your garden goes wrong, but like, you can't let that stop you from doing it again. So absolutely. 
It needs to be a motivator, not yeah. something to like turn you away, but something where you can look from it and say, okay, well, next time I'm not going to do it that way. Next time I'll do it this way. And it's so easy to say that right now. It's so easy to say that, but mm-hmm. when you're in those moments where it's difficult and challenging, it can feel like it's a lot, but it's something that everybody goes through and homesteading is never a highlight reel. It's never Instagram perfect. Yeah. There's so many failures that happen to leading to like beautiful, wonderful, perfect homesteads and like really good um, experience with all of these traditional skills that we're working on. So if you feel like you're in the thick of it, you're not alone mm-hmm. to a degree. We're all in the thick of it. Yep. And nature is brutal <laughs> and things will happen. Nature is brutal. It absolutely. Is. <laughs> Something that kind of segues around like being willing to use your hands, you know, learn and learn as you go and being willing to fail is also knowing the community around you because if it's something that you can't do yourself, it's really nice to know who you can look to who's already doing those things or who can answer questions for you or come alongside of you. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to uh, knowing your community and knowing the people around you. Um, And our uh, episode next week actually is community sufficiency. So we're going to go into that a whole lot deeper, Mm -hmm. Um, but it definitely has a lot of benefits. Yeah, no, I think that's huge. When I think of community sufficiency, the first thing I think of is farmers markets and farmers Mm -hmm. markets are so, so nice to make initial connections, but going beyond that, once you've made those connections, being able to work with people at the farmers markets one-on-one is also a really nice way to to not just buy from them, but to learn from them. Because so many of us who do things love teaching. Like I love talking with people about raising meat birds and helping them get started in that, that next stage of their chicken keeping. And I love when people buy chicken from us, but I love teaching even more. So when you are purchasing things from farmer's markets or, you know, little market gardens and stuff, connecting with them even farther to say, Hey, will you help me learn how to grow this or, or make this or source things? Um, People are always, most of the time, people are just always so ready to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's another one of those, you know, mindset shifts that we, I feel like we've hit on multiple times this podcast episode, but, you know, I think as a society, we've gotten away from having conversation, like actual conversations with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've been in the house that we're in now. I have been here for almost three years. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now starting to get to know the people in my community, like Mm -hmm. in my, on my street, in the street over, because I had to push myself out of my comfort zone. Sure. You know, so many people just want to say, oh, I'm introverted or, oh, I'm socially awkward, but it's like actually push yourself out there because I have a, a neighbor two houses down from me that has cattle. I have one around the corner that is doing a flower garden. Um, And her sister does bees like, you know, and, but I never would have known that if I didn't push myself out of that comfort zone to actually get to know the people around me. Mm -hmm. I think being willing to have conversations and ask for help and open the door can be, can be the hardest part. Honestly, it is. It takes so much courage and we're so used to hiding behind screens to ask questions. And there's so many amazing resources online and 
you know, the Homestead Connection, so much of what we're about is having amazing online resources and ways to connect. Um, but mm-hmm. also just having the, the time and the courage and the strength to talk to the person, you know, at the farmer's market or to connect with the people who live local to you can be honestly life-changing. Yeah, definitely can. Well, those are all of our points that we have for you guys today. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in to our very first episode of the Homestead Connection. And I am super excited uh, for all the rest of the episodes that are coming your way. We actually have a special episode coming on Friday as well. Um, That one is going to feature our friend Megan. And we are going to be talking about the mindset shift that comes along with Uh, choosing to lead a more self-sufficient life. So make sure to tune in on Friday. And then after that, every Wednesday. Well, I hope you guys have a really good day and we'll see you guys on Friday. Yep. See you guys on Friday. Thank you. Bye.